please pray with me. Father, I ask that you would send your spirit this evening. And I pray that your word would bear fruit in our hearts. And I pray that we would be transformed by what you say to us. Lord, let us hear you speak. Amen. As Michael was reading John, my daughter whispered to me, Jesus kind of changed the subject on those Greeks. I'm not going to preach on John 12, but it is a passage that is absolutely fascinating and interesting. And I oftentimes wonder, why did he, after hearing this request from the Greeks, say, now's the time. We're ready for the crucifixion. What was it about their question that prompted him? Instead, I want to talk about Hebrews 4 and 5. There's a danger in a verse becoming too familiar. And y'all have no doubt experienced this. This happens usually to the best verses. The verses that we love that are beautiful, those best verses, because we love them, we quote them oftentimes. We write them on cards. We remember them. And because how frequently we remember them and say them, we actually just kind of become indifferent to them. The beloved becomes familiar and the familiar becomes a platitude. Before we know it, it's a verse that adorns coffee cups and greeting cards that's one that we no longer actually think about. The best of verses oftentimes become the ones what we think about the least because we see them so frequently. In other words, we take them for granted. We cheerfully acknowledge them without ever letting them sink deep into our souls and our hearts. Verse 16 in Hebrews 4 is one of those verses. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We say, of course, we can draw near to God. We've heard this verse many times. But his familiarity makes it likely that it just becomes a platitude, something that we don't think about, something that doesn't sink deep into our heart and transform us. In other words, we don't listen for the voice of God because we know it. Let us draw near. Let us with confidence draw near. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Of course, we all know the reality. The reality is, is that there are many times when it's quite difficult to draw near with confidence. The reality is, is that this is easier said than done. There are times when our prayers stick in our throats. There are times when because of our own fear and anxiety, because of the fact that everything around us seems to be swirling too quickly, there's times because of the fact that the world seems like it's going to fall apart at any moment. There are times when our fear and anxiety are like chains on our shoulders weighing us down. And we say, draw near with confidence? How could I do that? Or there are other times when we are very simply just too tired. Life is overwhelming. 
There are times when we actually want to approach the throne. We want to pray with confidence. We want to joyously worship. We want to be zealous. But we're just exhausted. And going to bed seems so much easier. We feel weak, run ragged. And praying with confidence, very simply, just takes too much energy. But then there are also those darker moments. Those darker times when we are gripped by shame. Shame because yet again, we have fallen to the same temptation. Shame because yet again, our temper, our gluttony, our lust, our selfishness, our pride have gotten the better of us. Time and time again, we say, I haven't been strong enough again today. And so we feel ashamed, ashamed to ask for forgiveness, to approach the throne with confidence. Perhaps it isn't even a new failure, but instead the memory of some deep, dark sin that still has such a grip on our soul. And that memory brings with it waves of shame as it comes back to mind. And we say, how can I approach with confidence with this dark weight in my soul? Perhaps it's not shame even from something that we've done. Perhaps it's the shame of being rejected, of being rejected by those who ought to love us and wondering, maybe after all, this is the way God feels about me. I was reminded this week of the story of a man in a church that my dad pastored when I was a little boy. He had been a good gymnast in his youth. His father was a doctor who thought he could never measure up. His father never went to his gymnastics meets because his son wasn't enough for him. But one year when he was in the state finals, his father condescended to go. He came. And yet as he did his routine, he made a great mistake. And he looked up to the stands where his father was sitting and he watched his father stand up, turn his back on him, and walk out of the gym. There's shame we bear because of being rejected by people. And when that weight of shame is upon us, we say perhaps God feels the same. How can I approach with confidence? For different reasons. For our fear for our anxiety, for our exhaustion, for our shame. All of us have days when it seems impossible to approach the throne with confidence, to come before God, trusting and knowing that He loves us. Some days we're just run so ragged that the thought of approaching the throne doesn't even cross our minds. But listen again to these verses. Listen to verses 15 and 16. Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us and our weaknesses. Let's turn this around to hear the positive statement. Our high priest 
sympathizes with us. We have a high priest who sympathizes with us in our weakness. Again, these are words that could easily make a platitude. We need to let them sink deep into our soul today. Listen to the voice of God to you. Consider your fear and anxiety. Consider those days when the world is darkest. Consider those days when you wonder whether it's all going to crash down around you. Consider those days when you just very simply feel inadequate. I cannot do enough today. I am not big enough. I am not strong enough. Consider those days when you say, I might, after all, fail. I might be no good as a father or as a mother. I might fail. Consider that fear and anxiety. Jesus looks at you in those moments with the deepest sympathy. This is what Hebrews is saying to us. In those moments when everything is dark, his heart actually breaks for you. He looks at you with the deepest sympathy in those moments, and he feels what you feel, and he understands the weight of it. Or consider the days when you are exhausted. Consider your weakness, the days when you just don't have time, when there's not a spare drop of energy left, when you are worn out and spent, and you would rather curl up and hide in bed than face the day in front of you. Consider the days when you're longing for your father and mother to show back up in your lives and to lift the load off your shoulders because you just don't have enough energy to carry it all. Consider those days. Jesus looks at you in those moments with the deepest sympathy. His heart hurts for you in those moments. He feels your exhaustion. He understands. Well, what is more? Consider your shame. Consider the places of your greatest failure. Consider the places where you know that you were ugly, filthy, sinful. Consider the places where you have wronged those that you actually love most. Or consider the places where you have been rejected, unwanted. Jesus looks at you in those moments with the deepest sympathy. He sees the places in your heart that you are terrified of. He sees the places that you believe if this came out to the light, no one would ever love me. He sees those places and he looks at you with sympathy. He sees those things that terrify you and his response is sympathy. He feels that shame and yet his heart breaks for you. He is sympathetic. He looks at you and loves you. He sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. He sympathizes with us in our failures. He sympathizes with us in our shame. Hebrews says this is because, and this is verse 14, this is simply because he has felt the full force of temptation. He knows what it feels like. He knows better than we do the full force of temptation because he went through to the end and felt its full force. We fall down along the way. He has felt the full force of temptation and he knows very simply how difficult it is for us to stand 
how difficult it is for us to stand strong. He knows that we cannot do it on our own. He knows that it is too much for us. And so He looks at us kindly, even in our failure. This thought gripped me today. Lord, even in my failure, do you still look at with me with sympathy and kindness? And yet this is exactly what Hebrews says. Even in our failure, he looks at us kindly. And he says to us in those moments, come with me. Come with me to the Father. Come with me to the Father where he will cover you with his mercy. Where the sin and the shame can be washed away. Come with me to the Father, where you will be met with grace upon grace, where he will begin to teach you to stand yet again. He says, come with me to the Father. Do not hide in the dark and do not run away. Come with me to the Father. He sympathizes with us because he has felt the full force of temptation. But it's not just because he's felt the full force of temptation that he sympathizes with us. He also sympathizes with us because he knows how badly life hurts. He knows what life actually feels like. Look at verses 7 and 8 of chapter 5. Hebrews says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He sympathizes with us because he knows how badly life hurts. He knows the feeling of praying in anguish through tears. He knows the feeling of trembling on your knees, body and soul shaken and broken because of the darkness in the world. He knows suffering. He has felt every last drop of it. He sympathizes with us because he knows what it is to suffer. In one of the most startling verses in the Bible, the writer says, he learned obedience through suffering. The eternal God condescended to enter a school of suffering, a school where the curriculum was suffering, and he went through that school obeying perfectly all along the way with the weight of suffering on his shoulders. Everything that has hurt you, he has felt. Everything that has harmed you, he has felt. He sympathizes with us because he has suffered. And so we discover in this chapter that we have a priest who sympathizes with us because he has been tempted in every way and sympathizes with us because he has suffered in every way. In other words, when temptation overwhelms you, he does not reject you. And when suffering overwhelms you, he does not reject you. Because he went through temptation and suffering faithfully, because he went through these things flawlessly, God appointed him, he called him, he designated him, he ordained him to be a high priest for us. Look at how frequently this chapter makes this point. In the first verse, well, let's jump to the fourth verse of chapter 5. The writer says, no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. And his point is that Jesus was called to this honor by the Father, the honor of being high priest. In verse 5, we hear him saying, 
Christ also did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but he was appointed by him. The Father appointed him as a high priest. It's like the writer's wanting us to hear this over and over. In verse 9, he says, In being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. This one's lost in the translation. But that phrase, being made perfect, is the phrase that Leviticus uses whenever a priest is ordained or consecrated. In other words, this is a statement that he was ordained as a priest for us. And then in verse 10, it says, being designated by God a high priest. Four times it tells us that because he was perfect in temptation and perfect in suffering, God called him, appointed him, designated him, and ordained him as our high priest. Verse 1 of chapter 5 tells us what a priest is for. A high priest is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. That's elaborate wording to say a high priest is sent to help people who are struggling so that they can come into the presence of God. This is what Jesus' role is in our life. He is our high priest. He is the one who assists us in coming into the presence of God. He is our mediator, our shepherd, the one who protects and guides those who are struggling so that they may come into the presence of God. I want you to hear this. Because if you say today, this day, I struggle to come into the presence of God. If you say this is difficult for me, my fear, my anxiety, my shame, my exhaustion is too much. I struggle to come into the presence of God. If this is you, in other words, if you are normal, Jesus Christ has been appointed priest for you to guide you into the presence of God. He is here to protect you, to shepherd you, to draw you closer. He prays for you. He offers forgiveness to you so that you can come into the presence of God. He gently explains and reveals who God is to us so that we know how to approach. He corrects our thinking. He sympathizes and encourages. The Father has appointed him to be our mediator, in other words. Because he was faithful in temptation, he can sympathize with us in temptation. Because he was faithful in suffering, he can sympathize with us in suffering. And because he was faithful in those two places, the Father said, and you will now be their high priest. You will protect them and guide them. Earthly priests give up. They get tired. They lack wisdom. Earthly priests just aren't that good. But Jesus is the perfect priest. He shoulders the burden that we cannot carry. This, to me, is one of the most startling things that recurs over and over in Hebrews. That what this means is that the burden of my being in the presence of God lies on His shoulders and not on mine. That's good. That's really good. Because if the burden lay on my shoulders, we all know how it would end. It's the priest's job to draw the people into the presence of God. And Jesus never tires of doing this. When you are weak and exhausted, and you say, I can't go another step in prayer. When you are weak and exhausted, Jesus is praying for you, drawing you onwards. When you are anxious and fearful, and you say, I can't even begin to imagine what it would mean for God to show up in my life. Jesus is there encouraging you, drawing you onwards. And when you are ashamed deeply ashamed 
Jesus is there saying to you, yes, my blood does apply to this. Come with me. Come with me into the presence of the Father. The picture that we are given, the picture that we are given is that we have a high priest who is willing to do this for us. If you wonder if whether or not he does it begrudgingly for you, because you, after all, like me and others, stumble along the way. And if you wonder whether or not maybe he gets sick of dealing with me, maybe he gets sick of the fact that he has to work so hard to carry my weight because I don't put much in. If you wonder whether he begrudges this process, consider that Hebrews 4 and 5 says that he went to the depths of suffering so that he would be allowed to do it. His ordination path was the depths of suffering. The Father sets before him the path and says, to be their high priest, you have to go to the bottom of human suffering so that you can arise on the other side and conduct them into my presence. He says, this is the most difficult ordination path you can see. And the Lord Jesus said, that is worth it to me. That is worth it to me if I might bring them into the presence of the Father. This is how much he wants to do this with you. He looks at you and does not despise you in your weakness. He looks at you and sympathizes with you in your shame. And he says, follow me. Come with me into the presence of the Father. And so today, as we worship, as we come to the Lord's table, as we sing, as we confess our sins, the assurance that I would offer you is that it is not on your shoulders and yours alone. You have a priest praying for you. You have a shepherd protecting you, standing guard over your souls. You have one who will not give up and will not let exhaustion or fear or anxiety or shame be the final word. He is for you, and he is calling you to go with him to the presence of the Father. So as we come today, I invite you to kneel before the throne of grace. Kneel with open hands, knowing that the Lord Jesus would bring you with him and expect that the Lord would give you the mercy and grace that he has promised. Amen.